Hey guys, I'm Adam Carswell, and I am joined today, uh, very excited and very happy today to have this man with me, Andrew Reamer. Uh, he is my broker at my real estate office, and Drew has been much more than a broker to me, especially over the past year. He's built my confidence, uh, gave me, given me great advice on how I can become like him and he's gonna be very humble but I've told him from the day that I walked in here he's like you know I, I want to be like you one day so let's do it <laughs> so uh, today I've got the opportunity to sit down with him and talk to him a little bit and he has an amazing life story and that's really what drew me um, to this office to begin with is just his background and everything that he's experienced it's very unique very amazing and so uh, we're gonna learn a little bit about Andrew Reamer today now Drew, as I mentioned, uh, you're the broker here at Remax Distinctive Real Estate, but you do a lot of other things as well. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your businesses? Yeah, sure. Um, currently, principal broker at Remax in McLean, but we also service Washington D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, as you know. Um, another business that I'm part of is a woman-owned small business out of Denver, Colorado, and that's First Resource Consulting. Um, that business focuses on um, federal contracting, if you will, mostly in the real estate space, asset management space. Um, some other private equity businesses that focus on retail manufacturing and distribution. Um, basically, that company takes products from like a, um, uh, from somebody's inception and develops a prototype, and then we can help those individuals scale up their business. And we have the manufacturing setup in China to the distribution channels here via. Uh, sales staff at trade shows to selling wholesale to selling online and things like that uh, and then a data sciences business that does predictive modeling for disease progression for big pharmaceutical companies so I'm not as involved in, in, in those businesses we have operators that we've set up um, but from time to time you know we, we still get to, to chime in and be a part of those which is great so those are the primary businesses, but this one is primary. Where we spend. There's probably even some more. Yeah, this, this one's where we spend, you know, probably you know, 80, 85 percent of the time. As I mentioned, Drew has um, an incredible life story. Been through uh, at least at least two uh, life death experiences. I can't even begin to really explain how uh, amazing they are. So I'm going to hand it off to Drew now, and if you could just kind of paint. Paint the picture. I climbed Mount Whitney, which is the highest point in the lower 48 states, and then uh, with them, and then it was coming down to climb Mount Rainier. It was June or May 30th, 2010, and I remember calling my my dad, and my mom before I left, and I just said, "Hey, um, I don't know what I did wrong. I was like, I don't know why I can't make this company work. You know, we don't. Every day we're looking for the next dollar." and that next dollar goes to pay something that we already spent three months ago. You know, so it was just not sleeping at night, just unbearable stress, you know, all those prayers, or if you ever take this away, I'll never do this again. Like those were going on probably three times a day. <laughs> and you know, my, I remember my dad, he's like, look, you know, we don't have that kind of, you know, we don't have that kind of cash, you know, we love you, we'll always be here for you if you need anything else, like we're here, but you got yourself in here, I'm, I'm sure you can get yourself out. And I was like, okay. And that, that was, that was great. Mm -hmm. I was really glad that they said that. Um, so then I, I told my partner, I said, Matt, I was like, I'm going to go climb this mountain. He's like, oh, we can't do that. We have work to do. I'm like, look, we have work to do, but we're, we're, we're just kicking a dead horse right here. I'm going to go climb this mountain all the way back in four days. So, you know, mountains of debt, I'm going to go climb a mountain of ice. 
And so, you know, we go out and, and we climb the first day. It's beautiful, sun's out, we're staying at Camp Muir. You know, we got the picture at Camp Muir at 10,000 feet, having coffee above the clouds. The guide, Craig Van Hoy, who's a we just got lucky, he happened to be in town, he's a famous mountain guide, he was like, hey, there's a big storm coming in. I know you guys want to hit this, either we go for it now, or we go to bed and we risk that storm comes in and we can't summit. So of course everyone's like, oh, well, let's go now, we have all this energy, we'll charge forward. And it was okay, it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Sun was out, no clouds. So we go to climb and 30 minutes before the summit, a whiteout comes in. It comes in like 13 hours early. And you know, mind you, there's crevasses on, you know, on this, on this mountain, it's you know, pretty steep. We have our ice spikes clipped in. It's, it's the wind is whipping, and I can hardly see you from here. And the guide's like, I'll never forget. And I think we have this video somewhere. He's like, look, it's not all about the summit. And he's like, you guys got to remember that you know the the purpose of mountaineering is is not just getting up. It's also getting down safely and the ability to do it again. And the ability to do it again. That's that's what this is about. And by that time, I, I knew better, and I was like, no, he's right. You know, and I just get it. I think I was probably beaten down by business and life and trying so hard and things just not working out. And so we were down climbing and my partner Jay would kept falling in these little crevasses and we kept catching them, kept catching them. We get down to 12,000 feet and can't, you know, the camp, I get altitude sickness, I have a headache, I'm sick, I don't want to eat. We end up going to bed that night and I wake up at like six o'clock in the morning and they're, these guides are screaming and they have shovels and they're shoveling us out and says, everybody, you gotta pack up your stuff, get all your equipment on the same way we came up, put it on, every single thing. First team is ready, we're heading down. Next team, you know, hurry up. Third team, take the tents, meet us down there. Well, we open it up and it is a complete blizzard. White out, it's whipping. Luckily, you know, Jay, I remember Jay's like, are you gonna put your avalanche beacon on? And I was like, yeah, they said, same way we came up, it's just easy, it's already on. He's like, it's so uncomfortable. I'm like, I'll just put it on. Thank God, yeah. <laughs> So we put all our gear on and we're covered. I mean, like there's no skin showing and we get out and we're on the first team. So it's Craig Van Hoy is our leader and then Steve Clark, Jay Cortez, myself, and then Michael Higdon. Um, so that was kind of our team. We were about 10 feet apart by a rope. Mm -hmm. And we go down and if anyone looks this up online, you know, you can, you go down from here, you're curving around Cathedral Point. Well, from Cathedral Point straight down to Little Tahoma, there's some huge crevasses, and in the daytime, they're beautiful. I mean, they're they're deadly, but they're gorgeous. And but you know, so I knew that was going on. I just couldn't see where they were because the wind and the snow. Well, suddenly, like through my goggles, it was, I always tell it this way: it was like a Looney Tunes cartoon where the ground just a Z just breaks in front of us. And before I could you know yell avalanche to anybody or get my footing. One, you know, Craig goes down, Steve goes down, Jay goes down, we're all roped up, he whips me down, and then I pull Michael Higdon down, and we're starting to fall at like an angle like this. Getting our ice axes out, trying to you know arrest ourselves, and my, my axe is just cutting through the snow like butter, and it's just like a big ocean wave of heavy snow that just continues to pile over you. But we were falling with it, so it's not like it completely went over me, I could keep getting my axe in, until finally I reached up in the long part of my axe, I got that down and kind of bear hugged it. My rope went taut. And I'm not saying that I, I saved them. I think that you know Michael Higdon probably got his in as well. It's besides the point. But I'm holding this and I think that my friends are hanging off a cliff. I really just have three bodies and 50 pounds of gear per person. You know, my rope is just taut on my waist and I'm screaming. Like, you know, can anybody hear me? Help, what do we do? And it's silent. And it's not dark, it's white. It's bright, but it's so white that you can't see anything. And knowing every time I say something, the wind just takes my voice and just 
No. So there's nothing to do to just sit there and, and I, mean, I, I don't even think I prayed at that point. I didn't know what to do. I just right. kind of sat there for about five or 10 minutes. I'd imagine I probably prayed, how do I get out of this? Um, but then Michael Higdon ended up coming down and being like, hey, I can hear you, you know, don't move, it's all right. And somehow one of the guides up above had saw it, so they came bombing down to, to help us. Another avalanche broke, took those two mountain guides down. They were able to rest themselves and get Craig Van, finally get Craig Van Hoy out. Craig went and dug out Steve Clark, who was completely buried, and then Jay Cortez, who was pretty much buried, about 75%, and then they got to me and, and Michael. Then we short rope together, and you know, the whole time, I'm, for Jay Cortez's sake, if he sees this, I gotta tell the full story. And I'm screaming at Jay, and I'm like, I can't see, I'm like, Jay, I can't see, like, help, I can't see, and he's not answering me, he's this close away. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, you know, finally we get all the way up around, um, kinda where it's not as exposed, and we could stop and, and assess what's going on, and Jay, I'm like, Jay, I've been yelling at you the whole time, and he turns around, and his lens in the avalanche had completely come out of his goggles, and he's holding it in front of his eyes to block the uh, snow and ice from hitting him, he's like, Dude, I can't see either. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I'm so, you know, I'm so sorry. But I was, I remember, like every time the rope would pull, you know, I would just wait and it would pull in this direction. I would take a step, and then it would pull in this direction. I would take a step, and it almost didn't help that my eyes open. I closed my eyes, and whenever Jay, you know, pulled, I followed. Yeah. Um, so I can always use these things to tie in from a business standpoint of, of about trust and faith and being prepared and what to do in tough situations and not panicking. Um, which, as you know, this is gonna come up again. <laughs> so anyway, we get down, and when we get down to safety under 7,500, you know, under 7,500 feet, our team one is on their, their day one, and we're on our day three coming down. So on our team one is Tom Heffernan, my CFO, you know, and we all kind of embrace, and, and Tom's like, man, I don't know what you've been doing up there the past few days, but while you've been gone, your company won three federal contracts, you got a whole lot of work to do when you get home. And I was like, I remember I was just eating, I was like, shut up. And I was elated. But no one else around me really knew on my team, knew my story. They didn't really know the magnitude of what was going on. They didn't know the size and magnitude of the contracts that we just won. So I didn't really have anybody to celebrate with. Right. But I just was, I told Jay, I think, I was like, this is what happened and everything. I don't know how to get there, but everything might be all right after all. That whole backstory, everything I didn't know was gonna go on, nearly dying in that you know avalanche, not knowing how I was gonna get out to coming back and not knowing how we're gonna raise the money, how we're gonna set up, you know, these field offices, how we're gonna, you know, you know, get the assets in and actually execute what we what we knew how to do. But you know, this was our this was kind of our, our last chance. Um, and you know, we did it. And we did it with the help of, you know, sake of the, the video, you know, everyone on the MMREM team knows who they are, but um, we did it, and so then life was life changed, and it was great. Now we were we had momentum, we had very intelligent staff, um, we were building a corporate culture there, but it was still kind of a young culture. You know, we were still 29, 28, 29 years old, selling 15,000, 16,000 homes in one year. We did that, and, and everything was gravy and great for about a year and a half for me. And then in April. April 7th of 2012, April 8th is the actual day, um, I went down to Austin where one of our offices was and I, I went out with a friend. He was working for um, Keller Williams Realty International in the corporate office and you know, had a, uh, Gary Keller had always said how much he had you know, admired this guy and his potential and his name's Mitch Johnson. He's a, I owe my life to this day. You know, I mean, he, he, he saved it. So, um, 
we went out for a boat ride and we went out to go get just some burgers and a couple beers and catch up. I hadn't seen him in like three years. And on the way home, you know, I asked if I could drive and you know, he's like, yeah, sure. And so while I'm driving, he's pointing out the different people that live there. You know, the Andy Roddick, you know, I remember Andy Roddick's house on the left and the founder of Dropbox is over here and it was nice, it was glass, it was a clear night, everything was fine. And I see a boat, you know, a fishing boat tail coming in the distance, coming towards us on the other side of the lake. But, you know, see that purple tail coming. And so I grow up on boats. So I wait for the waves to come in. And as the waves are coming in, I turn the wheel into them to kind of cut across them perpendicular and just hop. Well, maybe a little too cavalier. It was at night. Maybe I didn't see it. And I was going a little too fast. And I didn't hit it perfect perpendicular. I hit it to, you know, less of an angle. And it literally just threw the boat sideways. It threw the boat sideways and it threw me and Mitch sideways and then I, I lost the wheel and it just started spinning uncontrollably. So the boat, if you will, at about 50 miles an hour, just suddenly just kicked like this and the G-force just threw us. And when it threw us out of the boat, I remember covering my head, you know, it's not when I was embrace myself for hitting the water. And I was fine, I came up from the water and I see the boat is coming back around and I didn't have a kill switch on my on my wrist. So I start to swim immediately away, and as I'm swimming, the boat is literally coming right over the top of me. I can see the hole right now, the boat coming right over, and I roll over and I try to kick off the hole and push away and back dive and pull my knees to my chest, and then I just feel like that. It's just like a, just like a bump that hits my leg. Hey guys, we're back here. It's another day, we dress the same. <laughs> but the uh, just for you, <laughs> the power on the camera cut off. That's that's my bad. Should have had the battery charged longer. So uh, we're back here trying to make it look just like a couple days ago. And who knows? We might not even need to use this footage. But if if I think it's necessary, I'm putting this in the interview. So we're gonna pick it back up now. Drew was telling us about um, his accident on the boat down to Texas. That's right. I like the way with battery, you know, died right at probably the most critical part of my life, right? Which is pretty good because this is when the restart of my reset of my life started anyway. I, I think actually I'm going to include this now. <sighs> All right. So when I yeah, when I fell off the boat and the the, the boat the boat hit me and the, the prop hit me, and I, at least I didn't know how bad it was. It was dark out, you know, it was nighttime. But I know the water felt warm and it was it was kind of peaceful as I said. I was, I was swimming ashore on my back and I always remember this like the water was above my ears and I can hear and hear my breath I could hear everything and kind of hear the boat engine going around and I swim to shore and I just swim at this one dock light that's there there's we were in kind of a cove so there I didn't know where any houses where I just knew I'd get out of the water so when I got to the um, when I got to the dock there was that mysterious handle that I still don't know what purpose that handle serves um, and was able to um, I couldn't pull myself up out of the dock, and that's when I first started to panic, just because usually when you get out of the water, you know, you use your knee and you, you get up. I, I didn't, my legs weren't working like that. So it was more like a, it's kind of like a horror movie, like trying to pull myself out of the dock. Luckily that handle was there. I grabbed my leg and I kind of pushed it into the, the ladder that was there and it gave me enough leverage to get up onto the dock. So when I was on the dock, I tried to, or at first I was like, I knew something's wrong. I took my shirt off to tie a tourniquet around and then I think my adrenaline stopped, I knew I was safe, and I just got really nauseous. Um, later, I figured out why I felt so nauseous. But um, So I laid there and it just hit me like a ton of bricks, like wow, like that, that all happened fast. And I can't believe, it was kind of panic, it was kind of surprise <clears throat> that life's 
life's ending. Um, and it was, it was scary, but it was, there was an understanding and it was, it got okay real quick. Um, so I wasn't afraid and I just wanted to say a quick prayer um, before, before I didn't wake up or for whatever was about to come here any, any second, any minute. And so I, I remember thanking God for my family and my friends. I'm like, you know, I'm the best family and friends in the world. And, and I really do. And you haven't met my parents or, you know, my brother and, and my childhood friends. You met some of my friends now today, people I surround myself with. But, I mean, what a blessing. All of them. And hopefully I return that to them too. But uh, I was super thankful for it. And, and, and I guess in general, I, I felt satisfied. You know, I think when people have... I want to say near near death experiences, or you know, when they think, you know, life could end tomorrow. You only live once, type stuff. You know, like I was, I was full. Mm -hmm. I wasn't like, oh, I wish I would have done that or treated my friends better. I think I did a pretty good job for the most part. And then I thank God for um, for my life. I got to climb some of the highest mountains in the world. Um, you know, I got to play competitive soccer. We won lots of you know state tournaments growing up. Um, you know, we I got to play Division One soccer, you know, and try that out. So I got to play competitive sports and win. I had some huge losses. All the losses in my life always teach me more. You know, people say that. It sounds cliche, but it's true. You just don't see it until, you know, the, the, the God's plan basically finally, you know, shows you. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit, a lot of anger and frustration, but eventually you get it. And you're like, oh, wow, well, that was painful, but okay. Right. Um, but, you know, also... Uh, from I got to love which was wonderful and uh, I was very thankful for that opportunity and I got to travel the world uh, I got to eat some great food. I got to eat some not, not so great food uh, But anyway, I just I think of uh, I got to play in a band still do mm -hmm. which is great and uh, you know I love doing that that was always a dream of mine and we actually got to play some pretty big venues between Richmond and New York City You know a couple times with big venues So when I really look at it in an aggregate, you know at 29 years old at the time I was full. I was like, man, like it wasn't, I always tell people, I'm like, it's not, I was never upset about what I wish I would have done this. Like I was like, you know, I, I lived pretty well for, for 29 years and I was very thankful for all those opportunities. And then I just said, you know, I, I God, I hope I served you well while I was here. And, you know, I, I felt, I still to this day when I think about it, it, you know, it fires me up because uh, I got really upset. Which was, it was a huge change in dynamic because this is this peaceful, it's okay, you're gonna close your eyes and you know, everything that you've had faith in, you know, is, is gonna come to fruition, you know. But then I felt like almost panic and worry and I was like, oh man, I could have, I left more on the field. I could have, I could have served more, I could have done more. And, and anyone that's, I think, especially competitors or athletes knows that you never wanna go out of a game when you know you could have left more on the field. There's, there's nothing worse than that. And that was from a service standpoint. And I feel like I, I served, but I, I definitely could have done more. And as I just described, I definitely lived everything for me. I did very well in terms of taking care of me, but I, I could have served better. Uh, about that, that all happened in like 45 seconds. Right. I know I just spanned that. So uh, then Mitch, you know, swam to shore and found me and checked my phone, checked his phone, and he basically is like, you know, just don't move, not that I could. I'm gonna go get help. So he went and knocked on the door and, uh, you know, Bill, thank God, Bill and Christy ended up, you know, being home as Texas family, who's now like a second family to me. Mm -hmm. um, and they came down and they, uh, they put a boat rope tourniquet on one leg and my belt on the other. 
and then scoop my legs up and put them in a chair to elevate above my heart. And they just sat there with me. And I don't, you know, I remember it, but I don't remember any conversations. I just remember, you know, one breath in, one breath out, not the stresses of my day, my work, anything that was bothering me. It was just back to basics. All you really have to do right now in this life, the only thing anyone's asking you to do is just take a breath and exhale and inhale and exhale. And that, no one's expecting anything else from you. It actually is really refreshing and it was a good start because uh, I think 20 some minutes later the EMT gets there and, um, and the fireman and, and Lee was like, um, who, who helped, I remember he was asking questions above me and I was, uh, I was like, you know, uh, they're like, what's his name? And I was like, my name's Andrew and they're like, he's like, you're awake? And I was like, yeah, and he's like, do you know where you are? I was like, Lake Austin? He's like, do you know what your birthday is? And I was like, August 23rd, 82, and he's like, oh my God, I gotta, I'll get to work. So luckily, you know, you know, a week before that, Lee had gone through some some tourniquets class, like military tourniquets class, and took off our, our makeshift that, that worked and put on some, some military tourniquets and locked those things down. Put me in the ambulance. I remember them putting this blanket on me. You know, they like you kind of see in the movies, you know, put the oxygen on you, and they, they start plugging you in and everything. And then suddenly I just felt so warm. And I was like, okay, like everything's okay, okay. Close my eyes, sleep wake up in the hospital, fully intubated. You know, and I think at that time I saw like my friends and family and, and business partner and, and everybody else and you know, I was apologizing in sign language and trying to write down, you know, you know, I'm sorry, I think I told my partner like, hey, I'll, I'll be back in two weeks, sorry about this, it's just a mistake and he, you know, was like, you have no idea how bad this is, so just don't worry about it. Um, so in the hospital, you know, to, to fast forward, ended up staying there for 48 days at UMC Brackenridge and um, had 16 surgeries, mostly was to fight off the bacteria in my legs. They didn't know if I was gonna keep them for a while. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to keep going in for surgery every 72 hours to clean out all the bacteria. Um, then was, you know, after they knew I was gonna be able to keep my legs and the bacteria was finally able to be killed, you know, it was starting to walk again learning to stand up again and I had such bad atrophy you know I lost about 30 40 pounds and basically all the basics in life started but it was super humbling so it was like a you know genuine reset is that you know because my ego is still there but it was just getting pounded left and right it's like you know you have to have other people taking care of you someone's always checking your temperature and thank God of my Brackenridge nurses they're amazing still some great friends for today um, but it literally just, just brought it back to humble once again. And the only expectation was, you know, starting life over and just the basics. Learn how to walk, get your health back, get your food and stamina back, um, everything. And mom was there the entire time. I told her she was great. I mean, all four, you know, 48 days she was bedside. Um, dad was in town every time, you know, every time he could. My brother came in town, all my friends came in town. One of my, my boys from, from childhood, uh, John, I think was with me about 30 days in the hospital. Um, told you, great friends. And um, ended up leaving the hospital, going home to Nashville, and um, started to recover and rehab. Um, so, needless to say, when I got back to the office, you know, we had, uh, the company was still going great. You know, we were still selling lots of real estate and you know, everyone was very supportive, but you know, at that time I knew that I had a new focus in life 
and at the speed that you know Matt and I were going back in the day, you know, we, we, we couldn't keep going. We weren't the same anymore. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say I couldn't keep up, but legitimately I couldn't keep up. I, mean, I had other things I had to worry about doing. Um, so I sold my interest to Matt and um, moved on at the end of 2012. Mm -hmm. So then actually was, I thought the hospital was a fight. I thought swimming the shore was a fight, but you know, reinventing yourself was, or myself was so difficult. So I had a one year, you know, non-compete, and so I, I went off to travel the world. And on my one year anniversary, I was I went to church, you know, by myself, and they handed me this brochure. It was like this trip to Israel, and I was like, you know, why not? I had nothing else to do. Never really traveled the world by myself, and uh, so on my one year anniversary, I went to Israel to see the Holy Land. You know, that kind of reinfected me with my itch to travel and see the world and, and meet different people, different cultures, try different foods. You know, climb different mountains to this day mm -hmm. in other places um, but um, for that year it was like near the end of the year and you know and I had a, a corporate buyout so it was um, life was okay from that perspective from from a business perspective uh, it was a success we went from not knowing where our next dollar was going to come from to a positive you know buyout that I'm still smiling about today so I mean you can't completely you know fault it but that was like nine years of my life. That was all I knew. All those blood, sweat, and tears, all those late nights, all those presentations where everyone was like, how are they, what are these kids doing in here pitching these you know, corporate giants for? Who are they? To what am I gonna do now? So, you know, um, end of 2013, I started talking to people, and then 2014, um, you know, I think I started just being a consultant for different people's businesses. Everywhere I went, like I didn't get that, I've been doing this for nine years type thing. It was like I was starting over and that was frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, but it did, some things did come easier. You know, having, you know, capital helps. Um, knowing how to, you know, go from having nothing and just one breath at a time, one step at a time helps. You know, I had patience, I had, I had this peace that I never had before. I had, you know, this understanding that even if I got super worn out, and to this day if it happens, I remember it. It's like clockwork. All you have to do is the next time in life that you were there at that dock, if you just got to ask, I hope I served you well, and you were happy, that's all you need to do. I know you want to grow your business, Andrew. I know you want to help other people, you know, and, and inspire the uninspired and you want to drive other agents' careers onward and upward, but all you really have to do is make sure you're serving the Lord. Remember that. Everything else was fine. So that kind of, you know, if I ever get too worn out, it still pops in my head. It's like, you know, my own ambition, you know, creates my stress. But in reality, if I want to, um, you know, I don't have to have that stress. I just need to serve. Um, so I do a little bit of a little bit of both, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I like to think that I'm, I'm mixing that in. So the new you know mission statement for Remax Distinctive here is to drive our agents' careers onward and upward. Okay, um, to live distinctive lives. That's a big play on words with Remax Distinctive, but also you know want to remind everybody that you know I was going Mach three and did everything I could to make a career, make a name for myself, and I did it, but at what cost? Mm -hmm. And what could have been the greatest cost? Um, so I want to make sure we're living distinctive lives, impactful lives, lives that we can be proud of, lives that we know we're leaving it all in the field, and at the end of the day, we feel great about everything that we did in this life. 
and the third part of the mission statement is to do well while doing good in our local communities. That goes back to serving. I just know how blessed I am, and you know, there's there's only you know, Mount Everest, you know, highest peak in the world. Mm -hmm. When you when you get to the top, um, you know, it's the wind's blowing, it's howling, it's kind of cold, but you know, you can you can see over everything else, and you can see what you achieved, and you're with the clouds, you're almost with the angels. And I think we always push for those moments, but you know, what I understand now and how I live is that. You know, I can only do that 20% of the time. You can't live up there. I can't always be climbing mountains. I got other things to do. I'm gonna hang out with you and do interviews, you right. know? But 80% of our life is, is kind of in the valley. And if that's the case, then, you know, understand a valley is tough. It's hard. You know, people need help. People are, you know, I don't have to turn on the news to know that, you know, it's kind of a little bit chaotic right now, but, you know, that's the valley. And if we can find a way to, you know, enjoy the valley and have peace and understand that that hardship is a part of life mm -hmm. it's not like you know i know we all want to get out of it and we all have our individual hardships but but it's a part of it and it's almost you know those hardships made me stronger and you know those hardships are opportunities to serve and that's the point um it's still to this day a hard point for me to grasp and i have to continuously go back to it and go back to it and go back to it um, but I think that's the new key is, is not just to top out all the time and fight for those summits. Those are great and I, you know, I want to get those just as bad as you do. But I want to enjoy the 80% of my life. I want to learn to whenever you know, hardship comes my way or comes your way, you know, to, to put a positive spin on it, to be able to see down the line what good it can bring or what opportunity we have right now to, uh, you know, to climb a mountain that might seem like a hardship and just be on top of it and conquer it, you know, no matter how small it is. So. Anyway, that probably a little too philosophical for the interview, but I like it. That's the new that's the new <laughs> plan. So you know, to, to this day now, I guess to fast forward is 2017. It's been five years since a boat accident. It's been um, five years since you know I sold my you know I sold my my first large company, and you know, been five years since I came out of a huge valley, was standing on top, went back down again, but. As the mountaineer uh, and the avalanche told me, you know, it's it's not about you know the top. It's it's, it's about uh, you know it's about being able to get down safely and do it again, and do it again. There's no there's no end summit that we get on and we stand there permanently and it's done. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's it's just enjoying the climb. You mentioned that you play in a band or you played in a band and you still do play in a band. I wonder if you have a song either a favorite song or a song that you think just defines who you are. You know, I wrote a song called Say I Won't with the Silent Critics. Um, my drummer actually, when I was laid up after my 17th surgery, had come and gave me a ukulele and was like, well, you clearly need something to do. Um, so why don't you learn how to play this? It could be cool for the band to learn some other, you know, uh, learn some other songs. Ended up writing a song, Say I Won't, and Say I Won't's about, um, I mean, you're competitive, you know. I tell you, you can't do something, and you say, "Say I won't." So a lot of it's about, you know, it's it's pride, it's ego, but it's it's, it's not getting down. It's overcoming, um, it's overcoming the hardship. And it's a part of the song that says, um, you know, no matter all the bad things that happen in life, I'm never gonna stop looking for love. Like I like I don't care. You can keep, you know, I'll fight the devil till the end. I'll throw caution to the wind. I I don't care. Like bring it on because I have that peace. I understand that that it is supposed to be in the valley and I can take him on the chin all day long. As long as I'm here, as long as I'm still breathing, 
I'm still winning. You might look like, you know, I'm losing, but I'm still here. So mm -hmm. until you take me out and it's my last breath, I'm coming for you. And I like that, you know, I think that it gives me that energy, it gives me and inspires me to keep going. And I really like that one a lot. So. Can you sing it for us? No. A little bit? <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. But, you know, you could also pl you could play some over the video if you wanted to later. Because okay. I'm not the singer anyway, you know? Right, I know, you're your guitarist. But, I mean, just how about just a little bit for mom and dad? No, you can't. Don't pull that card out of <laughs> doing that. No. All right. No, I'm going to sit here and ruin the whole video, you know? <laughs> All right, we'll say I will. We'll put it. We'll put it at the end of the interview. You can take a look at it. Um, but Andrew, thank you for your time. Thank you for your story. I think that it creates and provides a lot of value for anyone who's watching, anyone who's listening to this. Um, great examples and tips on how you can take your life to the next level. And most importantly, be grateful for all that you have. Uh, you know, No matter who you are, where you are watching this, Take some time to think about right now, you know, what you're grateful for and uh, watch this interview as many times as you can for some more inspiration. Thank you. Please uh, like my page if you have not already and also subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. And that's all I got for you, Drew. Any final comments? No. All right. So. <laughs> Take it to the next level.
I won't get today again. Hell with caution and the wind, I'll fight the devil till the end. Laugh with the angels when I'm dead.